This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. I'm Derek. I'm a pastor at Trinity Church just up the road on uh, Rinalda, and I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here um, with you again. I was here a couple months ago, and I spoke about something I love uh, to talk about, the love of God. God is love from 1 John. Um, that's what Scripture teaches, and, um, and you're here tonight to hear God's Word, and sometimes God's Word calls us to dwell on things that are hard to dwell on. And so I'm going to kind of go in a very different direction tonight. We're going to think about um, life in our mortal bodies. So um, kind of a heavy topic tonight. And you might be asking, why are, why are you bringing this up? We've just been through COVID. Or, I don't know. We're still in COVID, whatever we are. COVID's been happening, right? Uh, there's war going on. And so, you know, is this really something we need to dwell on? But there are a couple of reasons why I think this is important for us. Um, one is that um, y'all are young and you're really in like the prime of your life. And so it's not very normal um, unless tragedy has happened for you to be thinking a lot about death. Um, you're in this generative time of your life, this fruitful time, this time of open opportunity. And it's a wonderful thing. Um, and so it's not typical to think about mortality at this stage in your life. But a second reason is that the modern world in which we live is just completely structured in a way that hides death from us. Um, Almost everything about modern life is seeking to avoid thinking about our mortality. Um, Even our technology, the, the way that it enhances our powers. Think about the ways that electricity and hydraulic, all all sorts of things that we have make us way stronger than we would normally be. Think about how fast we can travel through cars and planes. Think about how knowledge can be stored like never before, not just in books, but now digitally. Think about how our medicine allows us to survive way longer than people have really ever lived um, in the history of the world. I looked up um, the mortality rate or the, uh, the life expectancy in 1900, and for men it was 46, and for women it was 48, just like 120 years ago. And before that, uh, most of the history of the world, it was 30 and 40 years old. That was the normal life expectancy. And think about how that shapes the way that you live when you know that the odds are you're not going to live that long. It radically changes the way you approach your life. And so what I'm trying to say is that the modern world in which we live, it just, it hides death from us. It hides our limits. It hides our mortality in so many ways that we need to face that sometimes. And many of you maybe have and are facing that. And so this is, this is raw, but many of us don't ever think about this. We're able to live the overwhelming vast majority of our life with, uh, without really thinking about death. And the third reason we need to think about death is that death is, is coming. It's real and it's coming. Um, and we cannot live wisely if we do not live in light of the reality of death. Uh, recently in my neighborhood, three different women 
in the span of just the last two years. Young women, women younger than me even, um, have been diagnosed with breast cancer and are battling that. I have families. I have, uh, maybe like you, I have friends that I lost in COVID. Uh, I went to my high school reunion not too long ago and caught up with an old friend from 20 years ago, and he talked about this growth he had on his neck, and it freaked him out. He had to go get it cut out, and it just it made him stop and realize, like, I need to think about what I'm doing with my life because it was a scary experience. And so um, death, death is a reality, and we need to face that. And so um, I want to read from the book of Psalms, three different Psalms, just some verses there where you hear different psalmists reflecting on this. And I, and I want to make a few reflections for us tonight. So um, from, I think it's up here, right? Okay, Psalm 39, Psalm 90, Psalm 103. Uh, first Psalm 39. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. From Psalm 90. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And from Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray just one more time. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. May we um, hear this difficult word and receive it with sobriety, and yet may it lead to joy because we see um, your love for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So the fundamental reason I want to look at mortality and death is because of what the psalmist says here. In a couple of verses, uh, Psalm 39, for instance, verse 4, he says, uh, make me know my end, you know, the end of my life, that, that when I will be finished. What's the measure of my days? And, and think about how fleeting I am. He wants to dwell on his mortality. And in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days. And he says the reason for this is so that we may get a heart of wisdom. And that's what I'm hoping that we can develop here tonight, is a heart of wisdom. As we think about our mortality, how can we grow in wisdom? And what I, what I want us to see is that only Jesus can give us courage and hope 
to face our mortality so that we can live wisely. Only Jesus can do this. Now, um, if there is no God, then we can only have one of those, and really neither one of them in, in the fullest sense. If secularism is true, then um, we can have a courage facing our mortality, but we can't have hope, right? We can kind of face the fact, the brutal fact that we're going to die and that's the end of us, but we can't have any hope in the face of that. Or we can live with some sort of naive hope and kind of believe everything will be okay, but not have the courage to tell the truth about the reality that our lives are just going to be over and that's the end of us. We can't have both of those things. And so we end up living in this imbalanced way. But if Christianity is true, if it's true that the everlasting, immortal God, the God who created all things full of life and love and joy, if it's true that he took on a mortal body in the person of Jesus Christ and lived his life with his eyes set on his own death in order to defeat death so that we might live, then we can begin to face our own mortality and live with wisdom. That's what I'm hoping we're going to do. So I want to talk about facing first our vulnerability and then our limits. Our vulnerability and then our limits. So what do I mean by vulnerability? Well, in Psalm 39, verse 6, the psalmist says, Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Now, what he's talking about is one form of vulnerability, which is that we can experience loss financially. We, we gather our wealth. We don't know who's going to end up with it, whether it's in this life or, in the, or after we die, who it goes on to. We don't have control. We can experience loss. And that's not just true financially. It's true in every area of life. We can be wounded. We can be humiliated. We can be disappointed. There's all sorts of ways in which we are vulnerable. And you know this, but it's hard for you to really feel this, especially when you're young, right? Many, many of us grow up and we don't ever feel that vulnerability. And in certain senses, that's okay. Like that's part of our parents' job is to protect us and keep us safe. But, um, but at some point, we have to face the fact that we're vulnerable. Our bodies are vulnerable. We can be injured. We can experience heartbreak relationally. We can lose security through debt and um, crisis, uh, we, you know, all sorts of ways that we are vulnerable. The meaning of our lives, our dreams that we want fulfilled can, can be wiped away in an instant. We are vulnerable. We are not in control of our lives. And a lot of people today, they make a living trying to sell you the idea that they can make you invulnerable. And that's true in, in churches. That's true uh, certainly in the marketplace where people are going to try to sell you some idea that if you do the right things, you won't be vulnerable, whether it's financially or there's relationship gimmicks or there's some sort of positive thinking and self-improvement or alternative medicines or positive things. There's all sorts of gimmicks out there that are aimed at trying to exploit the fact that we, we feel our vulnerability and we are uncomfortable with it and we want someone to tell us that they can take that away. But we are vulnerable. It's part of living in these mortal bodies. We can... And we will face loss. Now, there's often two responses to that. For many of us, um, we just go on our lives kind of denying this reality and distracting ourselves from this reality. We live for today. We have fun. We pursue our dreams. We go from one thing to the next. And, you know, that's kind of the typical American response to this, especially when we're young. And what that often leads to is a sort of foolish and reckless way of life. I heard a story about a guy at Hanging Rock. Um, Y'all know where that is, right up the road, right? 
uh, not too many years ago, was hiking with some buddies, and I think they were trying to get an Instagram shot of him doing a handstand or something on the side of the cliff. And, you know, he, uh, he fell and he, and he died. And his friends were traumatized by this experience, of course, and his family lost this loved one because he didn't really recognize his vulnerability. Um, sad story. I mean, I know this is heavy stuff. I'm like talking about really sad stuff tonight. I'm sorry, but it's important. Um, we, we can live recklessly. I kind of just distract ourselves, live it up, have a good time. We make decisions that hurt us and can hurt other people. Uh, maybe it's relationally. We, we just kind of recklessly slide into relationships, slide out without really thinking about the impact we're having on other people or the impact it's having on us to treat people that way. We don't always face the threats to ourselves and others, and we don't realize the great damage we can do. So that's one response. But the other is some of us feel the vulnerability deeply, and we live terrified because of that vulnerability. We feel the danger that is in our bodies, in life, and so we become hyper-risk-averse. And so we go through all of life trying to uh, mitigate all the possible dangers and we avoid risks and we live for safety. But what we overlook is that there are dangers in always trying to avoid danger. We miss out on many good things and right things by never taking risks in life. Maybe it's um, we, we never want to be rejected by people. And so we never really fully open up to them or take uh, movements toward people because they might see us and reject us. And therefore, we miss out on intimate relationships. We may um, never want to fail. And so we don't take risks in trying and learning new things that we're not good at naturally. And so we never achieve certain things that we could achieve. And there's all sorts of long-term goods that we might miss out on if we always live our lives not missing out on the thing that's right in front of us, right? I, you know, the fear of missing out on this cool thing happening right now. And we never say no to that. And we end up missing out on these long-term goods that, that can come from stable, sort of steady, setting our face in a certain direction towards certain goals. So these are two different responses to our vulnerability. But what I want us to see is that because Jesus became vulnerable for us, we can face our vulnerability. See, God is invulnerable. I mean, that's just who he is by definition. God is self-existing. Um, he is full of life. Um, he is not in need of us. He's not dependent in any way. And so what's amazing about the God who made us is that he actually, be, because of the incarnation, he took on human flesh. Because of that, God became able to experience loss. God became able to be wounded and humiliated and disappointed. And so what we see in Jesus is a man who lives with both courage and hope, fully cognizant of his own vulnerability. And we see him experiencing loss throughout his life and ultimately on the cross. In his life, he wept um, at the tomb of his friend who had died. He allowed himself to love someone and to care for someone so that when this man died, he wept. He was hurt. He was grieved. He had friends that he loved who all betrayed him and disappointed him and abandoned him in his hour of need. He was heartbroken that the bride of God, the church, Israel, rejected him in his ministry. He experienced thirst on the cross. He was wounded 
and beaten with uh, you know, thorns on his head and all, whipped in all sorts of ways. He was literally humiliated in, in the most exposed way imaginable, being stripped naked in front of all these people and hung to die on a cross. Jesus bore our foolishness, our exploitation, our self-protection, all of that in his body on the cross. And he knew that was coming, but he lived with courage and hope. He knew it would be hurt, but he faced it for us. He didn't despair. He didn't protect himself. In love, he became vulnerable to bring us through our vulnerability into life and into strength. The resurrection of Jesus is God's victory over all the loss that we can possibly occur in this life. And it's the guarantee of a future inheritance. Through faith in Jesus, we are safe in our vulnerability. We can risk everything in our lives and still win because we can trust that God is going to give us all things in the new creation. And so because of that, we can embrace risk for the sake of Jesus's kingdom. We can live wide-eyed, honest about our vulnerability and live for the sake of other people. So what is wisdom in the face of our vulnerability? I think it means we ask important questions like these, which we're not prone to ask, but one important question is, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? No, that's not living, you know, always thinking about the dangers out there. That's thinking about who does God want me to become? That's what's going to set the course of my, my life and my decisions. Not what's vulnerable about me, but who does God want me to become? What am I investing my life in? What, what, what is important? And am I actually living oriented toward that? Am I embracing the right kinds of risks that require faith in God's promises in love of God and neighbor to fulfill the callings that God has given me? When we start asking those questions, very aware of our vulnerabilities, we can begin to grow in wisdom and become the type of people that God has called us to be. The second thing I want us to look at tonight is facing our bodily limits. Facing our bodily limits. What do I mean by that? We, we just, we're finite. We're people. We're creatures. We're dependent. We're not able to do everything all the time, right? So Psalm 39, verse 5, Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. I mean, it, we're just like a breath. We, and then we're gone. We're finite. We're limited. Psalm 103, 14, um, He knows our frame he remembers that we are dust. That language of frame is the idea of having a structure. We have bodies and these bodies have a design and that means there's limits to what they can do. There's great powers in our bodies, but there are limits as well. And one of the challenges that we have today is that we reject our limitations. Regularly, we deny that we have them and we try to live beyond them. Um, we also imagine that we have the wrong limitations, but I'm not going to go into that tonight. That's kind of a whole nother thing to explore. But we need to think about the ways that we reject our limitations. We often take responsibility for uh, or seek to experience more than we are really able to do. Whether it's with our bodies, we think we have more time than we really have. We think we can be in more places than we can be. We think we have more energy than we really have. Our emotional bandwidth, our intellectual bandwidth, our, our skills, our resources, 
our relationships. We can only be close to a certain number of people, but we are constantly trying to extend ourselves beyond what we're really capable of doing. If I could come back to Wake Forest, uh, I was here 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. If I could redo my college experience, one of the things that I would try to do differently would be to develop healthy habits. At the time, it just didn't seem that important. I had kind of seemingly endless energy and, you know, I could stay up till two in the morning, go to cookout and get up at seven for calculus and, you know, take a nap and recover after an hour, play basketball and wipe myself out and be fully recovered the next day. Like I could, I just felt like I could do anything. But as I look back, I realize that I didn't develop good habits with sleeping and eating and relationship and time management on all of those things are critical, not just for this season, but for the rest of your life, because you won't always have all the powers you have right now. You know, I hate to tell you that. I wish it wasn't true, but you won't always have the strength that you have right now. We try to have and do it all. And again, our culture kind of tells us that you should pursue everything. You should have it all. You should be able to do everything. And if you aren't, something's wrong with the world. It's not your fault. And you need to keep pushing to get it to give you everything you want. And the reality is that's just a denial of the fact that we have bodies and that we are limited. We literally can't do everything. Um, As a pastor, most of the time when I get called in to help someone and they're in crisis, not always, but a lot of the time, when a person is breaking down, it's because the person is not embracing their limits. Now, I mean, there's, there's real issues with anxiety and depression that aren't related to this, but sometimes anxiety and depression is, is very much related to just not taking care of our bodies and living within the limits that God has put on us. And we often blame other people for not helping us enough, or we blame work for being too difficult, or we blame society for overloading us with expectations. But, you know, we, we just don't know how to say no. And we want to do it all. And we don't face the fact that we can't. And we get angry about that. But Jesus became limited and finite for us. And because he did that, we can actually learn to embrace our bodily limits as well. Remember, God is infinite and omnipotent. He has all power. But because of the incarnation, God needed rest. God needed food and water and sleep and time to reflect and think and stress release. He needed these things. Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, lived as a limited man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, we lose sight of that a lot because we think, look at all the amazing things Jesus did. He was God, right? He performed miracles. He walked on water. And so he could do anything. Well, yes, he was empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit was poured out on him without measure. He did incredible things, but he was still a man in a human body, and he lived within his limits. He didn't go everywhere that he could have gone, right? He didn't do everything. He didn't heal everyone. He didn't teach everywhere in the world. He was limited to a particular time and place because he had a body. And Jesus lived in the time and place that the Father called him and put him and was faithful to the callings that the Father had for him, and he lived within those limits. Jesus took on the limits of a human body, and so we can embrace our limits and stop our endless striving for more. We can embrace what God gives us 
and see that that's sufficient for our own joy and for God's pleasure, for loving those around us. So what does it look like to have wisdom in the face of our creaturely limits? It means embracing our limited power and living into our callings. And so we start asking, what have I been given and what is not mine to grasp for? What have I been given and what should I not be grasping for? What should I be enjoying as a good gift from God? And what do I need to resist as just a fear that I'm missing out on something better? We need to ask ourselves, what am I called to do? And that's a huge question that I can't even begin to tackle today. If you want to think about what am I called to do, I'm sure a lot of you are asking that. It's college. That's what you do. It's like that and who do I marry, right? Those are kind of the two big questions. Um, you know, that's, what, that's part of what RUF is here for, right? And that's why you have uh, other students and leaders and you have churches that can help you discern that. But you should be asking, what am I called to do? God has not called you. I'll tell you this. God has not called you to do more than you are physically able to do. You cannot be two places at once. You cannot be everything to everyone. And if you think that's what you're called to do, you misunderstand what God is calling you to do. Now, maybe there are areas you need to grow and that God wants you to grow into certain things. But right now, you can only do what you can do. And that is okay. And thirdly, I think you need to ask, are you taking care of your body? That might not seem like a very spiritual question or uh, thing to ask or think about, but it's, it's super important. It's very spiritual and, and godly and mature to think about how you're sleeping and eating and exercising and your presence uh, with other people and your time alone. These are all spiritual acts to consider. So as I wrap this up, I want us to finally just think about death. We are going to die. Psalm 90 verse 10. Our days are soon gone and we fly away. Life will end and this is a loss. It is a journey in one sense into the unknown. Death itself, whether it's slow or quick or painful or comfortable or surprising or expected, it is a tragic end to God's good purposes for life. It is a break in relationship with our loved ones. It is a loss in what we want to accomplish and do. It threatens us with a loss of communion with God even. And in the secular modern world that we live in today, death is meaningless, right? It's just an end and that's it. You cease to exist. All the meaning that our our culture tells us exists is the meaning you create for yourself with the life that you decide is going to be yours. And so when you die, it's over. There are some people trying to overcome this. You may have heard billionaires spending lots of money to try to solve the DNA issue and let people live forever or maybe capture your consciousness at a computer. Some interesting um, Netflix shows about that if you've seen any of those. But But I mean, I think these are all They're just silly. They're denying the reality that we are finite, that we're going to die. And we try not to think about this. In fact, Ernest Becker, he wrote this book in the 1970s called The Denial of Death. And he basically argues that all of sort of modern Western civilization is just one big attempt to kind of cover up the fact that we're, we're dying. And it's making us all super anxious. And I think there's something really to that. Christianity doesn't deny death. 
It says it's real, it's coming, but it says there is life that can be experienced through death. Death is not the end. It doesn't have to be a defeat. It is the result of our our rebellion and our separation from God. Our autonomy from him, our, our grasping for all sorts of things that he didn't give us to grasp for, that leads to chaos and destruction and death in God's world. But God didn't leave it there. He came into the world and bore death. The one who has life in himself bore death in his own body. Alexander Shmimam, it's a weird name, Eastern Orthodox theologian, his uh, little book, O Death, Where Is Thy Sting, says, Christianity is not concerned about coming to terms with death, but rather about victory over it. And that's the good news of Christianity. We don't have to fear death. We can live boldly trusting God in whatever may come because all the sad things are going to come untrue if we put our faith in Jesus. So what does wisdom look like in the face of our death? It means trusting that God will give us good things and dwell with us forever. That brings a real sobriety to our lives, a heaviness. You're feeling that now. But it also brings a deep joy that goes through all the sufferings we might face and all the losses that we might face. And then we, with the psalmist, can can pray. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, to remember to do his commandments. God's love is everlasting. It always has been. It always will be. It is set on those who are his covenant people, those who have faith in Christ, and not just them, but their children also after them. We don't just have confidence that death won't overcome us, but even our children. That's a whole other debate we won't get into tonight. But I hope you uh, leave tonight not too heavy. I hope, you, I, I hope you leave with a sense of sobriety about your life, but, but one that is rooted in the joy of the hope of the resurrection. Let me pray for us.